I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. All right then, Joshua chapter 6. This is the story of Joshua and the battle of Jericho. We're going to call this message Five Steps to a Miracle. Five Steps to a Miracle. In the great hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11, there are only two events mentioned from the book of Joshua. We have already talked about one of them. Verse 31, Hebrews 11. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. But you go the verse before, listen to this. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. It is hard to know which is the greater miracle, the salvation of Rahab, the prostitute, and her family, or the amazing, miraculous victory over, over the city of Jericho when the walls came a-tumbling down. In all the Bible, there are few stories better known. If a man like me, a preacher, announces the story, then we all begin to hum. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. 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 Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. And the walls came a-tumbling down. Then comes this verse. You may talk about your men of Gideon. You may brag about your men of Saul. But there's none like good old Joshua at the battle of Jericho. We only need to know as we start tonight. We only need to know one simple fact. And here it is. It was totally impossible to bring down those walls. Totally impossible. You see up there flickering on the screen? That is an artist's representation of the ancient city of Jericho. That's actually something like what it looked like. If you ever go on a trip to the Holy Land and you take a trip down to uh, Jericho, down by the Jordan River, not far from the Dead Sea, you'll see a number of acres set aside of all the, of all the sites, of all the biblical sites in the Holy Land. Maybe there is no site that has been better excavated than the ancient walled city of Jericho. And you'll notice right there, and we'll come back to this, there wasn't just one wall around the city. Notice that. There were two walls around the city of Jericho. As the people of God faced that city, it was totally, absolutely, completely, and utterly impossible. Jericho stood between them and all that God had promised. A smart man would look at that and would say, no way, and walk away. In the words of the great theologian, Kenny Rogers, you got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. You got to know when to walk away, know when to run. A smart man would have looked at that and would have said, it is time for us to walk away. No, it's time for us to run. They would look at that and say, this will never happen. 
So here's what we're going to do tonight. Let's look at five steps to a miracle. We're just going to go right through this very familiar story. Five steps to a miracle. Here is step number one. You got to get on the right side. Get on the right side. And this isn't Joshua 6. This is the last few verses of Joshua 5. Now look what the text says. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, verse 13, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? What a question that is. Joshua is scouting out. He's not far from the walled city because the walled city at this point, they know that on the inside, they know that the people of God have crossed the river. They know that there's a battle coming. So the city of Jericho is completely shut up. Gates are closed. Nobody going in, nobody coming out. Joshua is scouting around near the walled city. He sees this very impressive figure with a sword in his hand. And Joshua, not knowing who it was, asked him the question, are you for us or for our enemies? Which side are you on? Reminds me of the question. Someone asked Mr. Lincoln, do you think God is on our side? To which Lincoln famously replied, sir, My concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. It's not important for God to be on our side. What matters is that we be on God's side. Come back to the text. Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Who was this strange, mysterious figure Joshua met? I agree with Christian interpreters across the centuries. This was, no doubt, a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. Does that remind you of anything? Take off your sandals. Does that not remind you of Exodus 3? Remember what God said in chapter 1, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I told you this morning, God's work done God's way will always have God's reward. Let me say it a different way, slightly expanded. God's work done God's way in God's time by God's method will always have God's reward. You want a miracle? You want to see God's God work in your life? You got to get on the right side. Remember, the issue is not, is God on my side? The issue is, are we clearly on his side? So five steps to a miracle. Step number one, get on the right side. Step number two, face the challenge. Face the challenge. Now, that, uh, that picture I put up just a moment ago. I ought to tell you something about the walled city of Jericho. It was, it is one of the oldest cities in the world. 
even go all the way back to Joshua's day, even in that day, 3,500 years ago, it was already in that day one of the oldest cities in the world. In fact, the archaeologists, they have dug up layer after layer after layer of the ancient city of Jericho. And there was a reason that Jericho had been there for so many hundreds of years. Because basically, if you've been to the Holy Land, you know it's very hilly from north to south. But there is, there is a passageway kind of in the middle between the north and the south. And you know what city stands at that passageway between the north and the south? The ancient city of Jericho. Which means in that day... If you come from the east and cross the Jordan River, if you intend to invade the promised land, you cannot go past Jericho. You cannot skip it. You've got to stay and fight it. And until you defeat Jericho, you will never defeat any other part of the promised land. It's the gateway to the promised land. So let me tell you, we know this much about ancient Jericho. We know this much from from what the archaeologists have done. We know that those two walls around the city of Jericho, they were immense, immense. They were wrapped around the city like a suit of of armor. They were in two concentric circles. In some places, they were 40 feet tall. In that day, a wall that tall was completely impenetrable. The people of Jericho felt completely safe on the inside. It didn't matter to to them how many Jews gathered on the outside. They were undefeated. Nobody had ever pierced those walls. Let me say something else about Jericho because it's it's a controversial part of the Bible. When this battle finally takes place, Joshua uses an interesting Hebrew word, harem, harem, H-E-R-E-M. It means devoted to destruction. It comes to us in the New Testament as the the Greek word anathema. The whole city was devoted to destruction. And and this is one of the the reasons some people don't believe the Bible have trouble with stories like this. Because Joshua made it clear, when you go in, you're to kill everybody in the city. You're to kill the men. You're to kill the women. You're to kill the boys. You're to kill the girls. You're to kill the little infants. You'll kill the oxen. You'll, you're, you're to kill the, the donkeys. Specifies that. But the gold, the silver, the iron, all the precious metals, they're to be taken and they're to be brought into the treasury of the Lord. So the whole city is to be wiped out and the precious stuff is to be brought to the treasure of the Lord. And you, may, you may ask yourself, why wasn't it enough? just to defeat the city. Why did God say the whole city was to be wiped out? You may remember the book of Genesis. We are told that the sins of the Amorites were not yet full. It's 400 years earlier. And now by this time, the sins of the Amorites, basically the Canaanite people, they were full in the eyes of God. Hard for me to explain to you today how evil the Canaanites were. If I were to say to you, Everything the Canaanites did, uh, it, it would not be proper. The, the, the gross immorality, the gross sexuality, the gross perversion that was routinely practiced. Let me say it to you this way. In an age when in many places, as in Egypt, child sacrifice had been given up, child sacrifice was still openly practiced in Jericho and the other Canaanite cities. In an age when people were looking for God 
The Canaanites practiced every form of idolatry and every form of gross immorality, including advanced forms of what you can only call snake worship. One writer said the Canaanites were the Bronze Age version of the Gestapo. The road to the promised land ran through the city of Jericho. And God said in the book of Deuteronomy, you cannot let them live. They are like a virus in your midst. If you let them live, they will infect you with their idolatry. So stamp over, stamp over the great city of Jericho, the word impossible. So what was Jericho to the people of God? I'm going to tell you three things. Number one, it was a city of pagan worship. Number two, it was a city of strategic importance. Number three, it was a city of of human impossibility. Go back and read Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 1 where where God through Moses talks about when the when the spies went into the land they came back talking about they they didn't just have walled cities with giants they had walls that reach to the skies in other words this is a city that must be taken this is a city that must be destroyed this is a city that must be completely defeated or the Jews would never be saved. So what could the Jews do in the face of this seeming impossibility? A frontal attack would not succeed. They had no way to tear down the walls and enter the city. So that brings me to step number three. Five steps to a miracle. Step number three, here it is. Follow the plan. Follow the plan. What was the plan? I'm just going to lay it out for you here very quickly. God's instructions in verses three, four, and five sound very odd. Number one, he says, march around the town once a day for six days. Then he says, march with the Ark of the Covenant in the front. And then he says, third, put seven priests in front of the Ark. And fourth, on the seventh day, march around Jericho seven times. Then he says, have the priest blow ram's horns as they marched on the seventh time around the city on the seventh day. Have the people shout. And when the people shout... The walls will come down. When the walls come down, verse 5, all the people of Israel, the men of Israel, the soldiers will enter the city and conquer it. Now, hold on to something here. Hold on. This is not what God said to all the people. These were God's instructions to General Joshua. Okay? That's going to be important in just a moment. God's instructions to General Joshua. We read on down, Joshua added a few refining details to the plan. Drop down to verse 10. He instructed the people to be perfectly silent as they marched around the city. That must have been hard. Thousands and thousands of Jewish soldiers marching in total, complete silence. Nobody talking. Nobody whispering. Nobody saying a thing. Total silence as they marched around the city. Number two. Joshua added to what God said. He put soldiers in front of the priest, and he put soldiers behind the Ark of the Covenant. And third, he had the priest blow the ram's horn, the shofar, continually. So you've got the people now marching around the city in total, absolute silence with soldiers in front of the Ark, soldiers behind it, and the priest blowing the horns. That must have been quite a sight to the Canaanites inside the city for six days they marched around the city once and then returned to their camp 
On the seventh day, they marched around the city seven times. The priests sounded a long blast, and the people shouted as loud as they could. So let me just stop right here. If you don't know, listen to me. If you don't know the end of this story, tell me, what kind of battle plan do you think that is? Watch this. This was the Joshua plan. Marching plus horns plus shouting. Sounds like something you'd, you'd, you'd hear at a football game. Look, you want to try this? Get yourself an army and go over to the Great Wall of China. Marlene and I have been there. One of the most amazing places in the world. That Great Wall, several thousand years old, it goes for hundreds of miles across northern China. Get yourself a few thousand people. Get yourself a few thousand trumpets. Play the trumpets and have everybody shout and see how many rocks fall off the Great Wall of China. So far, the Joshua plan seems completely nuts. This sounds like it would be part of a History Channel special called Greatest Military Blunders in History. If this is all we got, well, we need to work on this plan a little bit. Because what are the chances that the... See, our problem is, our problem is we know the end of the story. But we're not yet to the end of the story. This is just craziness. All right, let's go to number four. Five steps to a miracle. Remember the promise of God. We get two hints of this in the story. First, God said he was going to give them the city. Listen, this is what God said to Joshua before. Underline that, before. This is what God said to Joshua before he gave him the plan. I've already said the plan is a little bit, it's a little bit sketchy. But before God gave him the plan, this is what God said. Verse 2 of Joshua 6. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Tenses are all important. God did not say, see, I will give. See, I am going to give. He put it in the past tense. It's a done deal. See, I have already done it. Before you start marching, before you start blowing those horns, before you start kicking up all that dust, it's as good as done. I have already delivered Jericho into your hands. All you got to do is to start marching. Number two, how do we know God made this promise? He put himself in the middle of the battle plan. What did God say was to lead the parade, the Ark of the Covenant? The gracious sign of the presence of Almighty God. God said, Joshua, I got this. And to prove it to you, I'm going to lead this parade. You kind of wonder to yourself, what were the people of Jericho thinking? I think maybe after the first day, they were going, hmm, what's up with those Jews? They just march around and they go back to the camp. Who they think they are. We're locked up in here. We got food. We got water. We got the walls. We got the gates. They're nuts. Next day comes. They march around. Don't you think some of the Canaanites were hooting and hollering and shouting at the Jews as they came marching around? 
Third day, maybe some garbage came throwing over the walls of Jericho. Hey, you Jews, you've lost your mind. What's the matter with you? Listen to me. Listen. Although the people of Jericho did not know it, they were defeated before the walls ever fell. They lost the battle when God got involved. Let's do that equation one more time. Marching plus horns plus shouting plus God equals what? And the walls came a-tumbling down. God made all the difference. Those high walls couldn't keep him out. I'm reminded of the story of Robert Morrison. You heard of Robert Morrison? He is remembered in Christian history as the first Protestant missionary to the country of China. We celebrated the 200th anniversary of his coming to China just a few years ago. On his trip to China, Robert Morrison was asked by the captain of the ship a rather discourteous question. So, Mr. Morrison, what do you think you're going to do? Convert China? No, came the quiet reply. I don't think I'll ever convert China. I think God will. That is the faith that brought down the walls of Jericho. Here then is five steps to a miracle. The fifth and final step, never give up. That question why march seven days? I mean, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why march six days? What kind of plan is this? Even if God thought this up, why? What is going on here? Why make his own people march around the city six days? Especially when you know how it's going to end anyway. Why march six days? And then why make them march seven times on the seventh day? Listen to the next sentence. This is ordinarily how God works. God could have said, sit tight, let me handle this. But his normal plan is to use people to accomplish his purposes. So even though God caused the walls to fall down, the people still had to march, they still had to shout, and when the walls fell down, they still had to take the city fighting door to door. So what time is, okay, about About two hours ago, I was back in our villa. I was laying on my bed. I had my foot propped up to get the swelling down. And I was reading about this story. I was reading the book of sermons on Joshua by the late Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, great Bible teacher, pastor for many years at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, wonderful man of God. And, and, uh, and I read something I'd never thought of. I, I, until two hours ago, this is just hot off the griddle. And I, and I got to thank Dr. Boyce for this. He said, a careful reading of the text, and when he said it, I went back and read it to make sure he's right. He said, a careful reading of the text shows that God revealed the plan to Joshua 
not to all the people. Oh, that was interesting. And that's right. If you read the first few verses of Jericho, Joshua got the big plan. The people only got it one day at a time. What Joshua said to the people is, go march around the city and keep your mouth shut. And don't you know, there were some perplexed Jews at the end of day one. And they said, General, what's the plan? We're going to go out and we're going to march around the city again. Okay, good. Then we'll attack. March around the city a second day. Shh, don't say a word. At the end of the second day, go back to camp. The people are going, this doesn't even make any sense because they've not been told the big picture. On the third day, get up and march around the city. On the fourth day, get up and march around the city. On the fifth day, get up and march around the city. On the sixth day, get up and march around the city. And on the seventh day, I hope you're in shape, folks. We're going to go around seven times today and keep your mouth shut. Don't anybody say anything. And Dr. Boyce made the following point, which is great. goes along with this. Never give up. He said, it is not enough to partially obey. The walls would not have fallen if they'd stopped after day one. The walls would not have fallen if they'd stopped after day three. The walls would not have fallen if they'd stopped after day six. And the walls would not have fallen if they'd stopped after the sixth time on the seventh day. So now let me read what I just discovered two hours ago from Dr. Boyce. Quote, not only is there no substitute for obedience to God, there's no substitute for obedience and all the particulars to the very end. And when God does not act as quickly as we think he should, or in precisely the way we are convinced he should act, we are still not justified in pulling back and adopting an alternative procedure. A.W. Pink has written of this story, seeming failure did not warrant them in adopting other measures. They must adhere strictly to the divine directions unto the very end. Now back to Boyce, one sentence. It was only when the people had obeyed God faithfully that victory came and the walls came a-tumbling down. Not just obedience, but obedience to the very end. My friends, That's really good. So what is faith? Best definition of faith I've ever seen. And this is not original with me. I've heard hundreds of definitions. This is by far my favorite. Faith is belief plus unbelief and acting on the belief part. Faith is saying, I think so. I hope so. This is what God said. But this is crazy. We've already marched around this city. For six days in a row, faith is belief plus unbelief and saying, Lord, if you want us to go around seven more times, we're going to keep on going. It's acting on the belief part. So here are the priests in front with the ark, thousands of Jews, shofar blowing, pagans freaking out. Next day, the same, next day, the same, next day, the same, next day, the same on the seventh day. Seven times around, horns blow, the people shout, and the walls come a-tumbling down. This is, this is a little depiction of something of how it happened, that, that the upper wall fell, and then the second wall fell, and then all the walls fell, and the people went in. And here's another drawing. 
Not an actual drawing, but I found this. It's something, the, the reality is something between this and this. Blowing the horns and the shouting and the walls came a tumbling down. That's it. That's it. That's really all I dropped by to say tonight. This is how faith works. Don't you think there were some doubters? Don't you think there were some critics? Don't you think there were some grousing, some grousing in the ranks? Probably. I mean, the Jews were good at complaining, not because they're Jews, because they're humans. Complaining seems to be a part of humanity. These are real people who are tramping around in the heat day after day. It's hot, it's nasty, it's extremely frustrating, but they did it. That's acting on the belief part. And when they took the step of faith, God honored it, and the walls of Jericho came a tumbling down. Now, do you know, I'm almost done, folks. Do you know, I like to tell you so you'll know when the end is coming. The end now is coming. Do you know the name? J. Hudson Taylor. You know J. Hudson Taylor? Pioneer missionary. Came after Robert Morrison. Probably the best known Protestant missionary to the country of China. Founder of the great China Inland Mission. Went there in about 1863, 1864, 1865. When he left, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands, hundreds of churches established and thousands of Chinese had come to faith in Jesus Christ. Today in the 21st century, you can still find the spiritual descendants of the great J. Hudson Taylor. He's a man who knew what it meant to live by faith. These are his words. There are three stages in any great work attempted. You write this down. You need this. Three stages in any great work attempted for God. Impossible, difficult, done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anytime you start to do anything big for God, you start with impossible. Then it becomes difficult. And by the grace of God, eventually it is done. Learn the lesson, friends. Whenever you start to do anything for the Lord, it won't be as easy as you think. You know why? Because God doesn't work on our schedule. Why does God do that? Why do we have to sweat and struggle? Why is it so hard? So that we will come to the end of our meager resources and learn to trust in him completely. So when we finally get to the done, he alone gets the glory. Anybody here looking at a wall of impossibility? I got bad news and I got good news. The bad news is it really is impossible. And the good news is God loves to start with impossibility. When God wants to do something big, he starts with something small. When he wants to do the miraculous, he starts with the impossible. God loves to start small so then he can show his power in a great way. He starts with the impossible and turns it into reality. Final point. I don't know. I'm just thinking about it right now. This is good. What I'm about to share is good. This is my telling you. I'm doing this. I'm beating out the rhythm. This is good. Listen. At Jericho, the real battle was not with the Canaanites. The real battle was in the hearts of God's people. That's where the battle is always fought and won or lost. Would they believe? Would they risk public humiliation? Like the old chorus says, faith, mighty faith, the promises, and looks to God alone, laughs at impossibilities, 
and cries, it shall be done. Hebrews 11.30 says, by faith, how are we going to conquer our own walls of impossibility? Where do we find that kind of faith? You go from Hebrews 11 to Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the author of our faith. He's the finisher of our faith. He starts it. He finishes it. He's the captain of our salvation. Just keep your eyes on him. Joshua in the Old Testament is who in the New Testament? Jesus. Jesus. The Old Testament Joshua points us to the Lord Jesus Christ who leads his people to victory. So my final word to you is, oh, my friends, Keep your eyes on Jesus. Look to him. Follow him wherever he leads. When King Jesus leads the way, the walls must come tumbling down. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this wonderful story. We pray for the same kind of faith that they had in that day. To believe in spite of our doubts and to step out and obey, to trust you, to bring those walls down. Help us to follow, to do our part, and leave the results in your hands. Help us to live and believe like that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.